Through their investment in the corn checkoff, Minnesota's corn growers are fueling research that builds a more sustainable future for farmers and all Minnesotans. Each month, we will be speaking with the researchers who are leading the projects helping farmers become better stewards of the land and developing new markets that increase profitability. Today, we're talking to Padu Krishnan, a professor of food science at South Dakota State University. Today, I want to visit with you about some research that you've been working on. Uh, it involves the Minnesota corn growers, and the corn growers obviously have a vested interest in finding new uses for corn and, and corn byproducts, that, that value-added component. So I think what we'll do, Padu, is have you kind of, in a nutshell, describe how you've been looking into um, you know, ethanol and, and, and corn as, as ingredients in, um, in food, human food, and once you've kind of summarized what you've been doing, we'll follow up and kind of dig deeper into some of the different components of that, okay? My uh, role in research is to find new value to crops uh, and uh, the cash crops, particularly. And I'm uh, trained in soil chemistry, so I understand the science aspect of it and then to apply it to solve problems. And uh, the problem at hand is finding new uses and new values so that we can then bring economic value to the product and uh, make it feasible to uh, conduct and uh, to grow. So this means utilization in food, uh, in uh, other applications, uh, in pharmaceutical applications, and maybe even industrial applications, but primarily in food. So when it comes to food, uh, people are very finicky about the food they eat, so you need an understanding of the science of food, as well as people, the nature of people. So what can people uh, consume to be food items? And uh, corn is a staple, and everybody understands what corn is. So it's not a hard sell for the consumer to understand that they're using components of corn that was grown as a crop, and we ultimately use it one way or another. We use the corn, whether the corn winds up as a livestock feed that goes into the animal and then comes back to us uh, in the form of uh, meat products. So one way or another, we consume that product. We'll go from that to the the ethanol market and the byproducts that have come from that and how that kind of led you down this path um, sure. that, that you're on right now. Okay. Um the, if you think of the, uh, the bushel of corn, uh, which is about 56 pounds of corn that goes into an ethanol plant um, in the products that is uh, made out of that, uh, roughly about a third of that goes into carbon dioxide because of fermentation. And another third goes into production of ethanol, which is about two and a half gallons, maybe even more than that, that goes into the gas tank for the automobile. And then another third is uh, condensed material that was part of the plant material that became very concentrated as a result of removing a bunch of these constituents. And we call them distillers grains in general, and sometimes we call them distillers grains with solubles. So I find value in that because by virtue of uh, removal of key components, energy, CO2, all of a sudden, the 8% protein that came in as the corn cereal now is magnified to about 36 to about 40% protein. So we now have a more concentrated protein, and we also have a more concentrated fiber source. So somewhere in the world, somebody needs protein, 
in somewhere in the world somebody needs fiber. So very rarely do you see a constituent that is very high in each of these. Um, even soybean meal, for example, would be 48% protein. So if you compare apples to apples and uh, look at the protein equivalency, uh, we'll find that corn has the ability to provide that protein. So in addition to the protein, we also have other uh, products uh, that are being produced that may be underutilized. So we're talking about zine, we're talking about uh, antioxidants, we're talking about carotenoids, the pigments that give color to our products. Uh, say if you buy a farm fresh egg versus uh, uh, another egg, you may see a contrast in the yolk, the color of the yolk. So those are the pigments that come from corn that go into the quality of the egg product. So we have many things that we do not uh, utilize fully. So when I developed the food ingredient, which is distillers grains for food applications, I do a number of washings using a number of solvents that are food grade. So when I do wash, there's constituents that wind up in the wash stream that I can still recover. So I can recover those things and they can now serve as a functional ingredient to promote health, for example. So uh, so we, cons we consume food for nutrition as well as for disease prevention. So in both aspects, these corn products can be beneficial. Talking about uh, food grade uh, DDG and also constituents like antioxidants and phenolics that can go back into the food supply and uh, contribute to our overall health. And there's also an economic market for these things, uh, these products. So you, you capture these beneficial ingredients and the products that they would end up being included in, is it, is it a wide list or is it kind of a narrow list at this point? We are thinking of its application as uh, in replacement of chemical man-made antioxidants. You know, if you look at a candy wrapper, for example, you'll see terms there that the consumer will not understand. They, they look very complicated. You know, we're talking about uh, lecithin and we're talking about uh, EDTA. And these are chemicals that do a good job, but we want to replace them with natural chemicals. And so, so consumers don't appreciate and understand chemical names in their food wrappers. So we're trying to make the additives uh, more na natural and from natural sources without a whole lot of manipulation. So once they wind up as ingredients, then there's a whole host of pathways that they can follow. So the idea is to create a functionality and to show a proof of concept that you can extract these, you can put them in an encapsulated form, and then you can use them in multiple ways in, in, in the ways that other people put into their food. So most people don't think of eating ingredients. When they think of eating, they think of food, but it's the ingredients that make up the food. So we're now optimizing ingredients so that the consumer, the food processor, has the option of saying, hey, do I want a man-made um, compound or do I want a natural compound that we are discarding anyway. So there's an old expression that when you butcher a hog, use all parts of the hog. And it's the old adage, waste not, want not. And then my concept is when you wash my DDG to create a high-value protein fiber DDG for food applications, are we washing anything out? So are we throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak? So I've never known anyone to throw the baby out in bathwater. 
but I'm trying to recover those compounds that may have wound up in the waste stream anyway. So if we can optimize each one of these ingredients, then the overall process of processing corn becomes more economical. So a lot of times, you know, if you're talking about the petroleum industry, uh, some some of those chemicals are actually more valuable than the gasoline, you know. So so it's the tail that wags the dog sometimes in terms of the value of the product. So there's a demand for each of these separately. Right now, um, the consumer is very conscious about man-made additives. They want something healthy. They want something that can promote uh, health and nutrition, and they want value for the product. Which of these food pathways, if you will, show the most potential? We are optimizing the extraction. So basically, when I process DDG, it is a laborious process. So if I can do it in 10 steps, I'd like to do it in three or four. So the more the steps, the more, the less economic it is for somebody to uh, get value out of it. So basically, I'm optimizing a, a food grade application. And then when we extracted, we want to know, hey, in this stream, where is the pathway? Where did the fluid system wind up? Where, when you washed it, at what step did we lose something? And are we getting only 80% or are we getting 20% of what we thought we lost? So we are actually doing what you call a mass balance study, which is we have a closed system and we extract. And not only do we collect the residue, but we also collect the wash and we concentrate it and then see, okay, what? where is the phenolic compounds concentrating? Was it in the residue or did it go in the wash? And which solvent did we use uh, that gave us the best uh, response? And then we, by statistics, we can say this system and this process combined with this particular extraction did give us the best uh, combination of recovery. So we're talking about recovery. We're also talking about yield. So, so sometimes those components can partition in such a way that one winds up in the uh, food grade DDG, which is what I want. I want that to be remaining in the DDG. There's no uh, satisfaction to me to extract with the solvent and then all the good things washed out of it. So I'm trying to retain some of that. So, and I'd like to use a solvent that is uh, fairly uh, consumer friendly. Right now, uh, one of our products is ethanol in the ethanol plant. Can we not use some of that now as a solvent for extraction of the compounds that I'm interested in? One other compound that we produce right now that's being released in the atmosphere is carbon dioxide. We don't trap it as much. And then CO2, under certain conditions, we can use it as a very good solvent for extracting rather than using hexanes and petroleum ether to extract, and uh, those compounds may have some effects on health. So what about using ethanol as a friendly solvent or uh, using CO2 as a solvent? So CO2 extraction is generally referred to as supercritical extraction, and uh, people have known about it for a long time, <clears throat> and we're now able to make the process more economical to use. So, um, you know, if, if you talk to your grandparents, you would have found out that they would probably be able to remove a, a grape or Kool-Aid stain out of a linen with club soda, for example, and that's nothing but supercritical extraction. So CO2 is now being used under certain pressure and temperature uh, to effectively remove solvent and at the same time not remain in the uh, residue that as, as a solvent. 
So it's a it's a technique for extraction, but it's also disappears. So and CO2 is pretty innocent in terms of its uh, 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 and safe in terms of the environment. So uh, so basically, we are comparing different solvents, different extraction systems, different app apparatus for washing. So we may have a large glassware with a, a, a propeller blade, and then have a filter system to filter and then to recover the liquid, and then to boil the liquid down, and then to measure the total carotenoids and the phenolics in the waste or the wash stream, and then see how much is being retained in the DEG. So ultimately, we want to make sure that when we scale up from the bench top to more pilot beams, we are not changing the parameters. We're not, things are not happening that uh, we didn't consider before. So we want to walk into that with our eyes wide open in terms of potential loss. So the idea is to show a proof of concept and somebody has to do the due diligence to to um, do the grunt work, so to speak, to make the comparisons and then say statistically, hey, this technique is better than that technique. Or this technique may be better than that technique, but it uses a better solvent, you know. So so those are the types of comparisons we're trying to make. My student who's done the analysis uh, is uh, doing his uh, statistical analysis right now, but we have some some broad inferences to make, and uh, we are comfortable that uh, ethanol, which is one of the products of the ethanol industry, can be used as a solvent. And right now, most ethanol plants uh, are not designed for making food-grade products. So what would have to happen in, to, in order to uh, convert that so to add value at the facility to do that? So would they need to modify the equipment? Would they need to do additional cleanup of the corn that comes in, or do they have to go to elaborate uh, changes in order to um, make the changes? So basically, uh, one of the projects my students working on is a survey of the industry to say, uh, how do they capture value uh, out of the products of the ethanol plant? You know, And uh, you have mentioned some things about using ethanol as a uh, a disinfectant, you know, for the COVID uh, situation right now. So new applications that they didn't think about before. So what can be done uh, in the plant? So we are looking at the basic aspects of it and trying to find out what is feasible and what what uh, has proof of concept and what can be taken to the market, so to speak. So the research will uh, someday will translate to something bigger. So right now we have a distillers grain that we call food grade. And we are putting it into multiple applications, and we just published in the scientific journal uh, relating to the use of uh, DDGs as an ingredient in food, in food fiber and protein in a steam bread. In a steam bread, it's a very tricky product. It's got it's very lean in its formula. It's got no sugar, no salt, a little bit of yeast, and flour. So it's a little, little bit more trickier as opposed to a flatbread that can handle a lot of the stresses. So we are taking easy products and then we are taking difficult, difficult products to see how they compare in terms of the way they deal with the ingredient in the formula. As I was listening, I was thinking that there's a, clearly a long way to go on this journey, but you know, I'm thinking about the, the corn farmer that's listening to our conversation, and, and I'm sure they, they want to jump ahead a little bit. And when we talk about value added, you know, what, what could this eventually mean for the price of corn. And I don't know if we can skip that far ahead, if you are even willing to 
um, hypothesize on, on what it could mean for value, but uh, I, I'm sure, especially as you work with the Minnesota corn growers, you know, that's kind of in the, in the, in the back of everyone's minds is um, what, what is the market potential here and what could it mean for, for corn prices down the road? That's a very good question, and uh, I'm not an economist, so I can deal with the scientific aspects of uh, answering feasibility versus, you know, technique versus uh, reagents, you know. So in terms of the food-grade DDG, um, we're talking about an ingredient right now. If you say that uh, a, bush, uh, 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 a ton of uh, DDG at uh, $140 a a ton, that's 2,000 pounds, that works out to be about 7 cents a pound. And now that's very low uh, as an ingredient for something that has about 30% protein and about 40% fiber. Both things are very valuable in our nutrition and diet. So there are national recommendations that say we need to increase our fiber content to stay healthy. And we, we always need protein to feed the masses, so to speak. There's always a demand for proteins. So, so these ingredients are the same ingredients that you find other ingredients that have value. So we can only compare our ingredient to a different ingredient that's comparable, whether it's a soybean meal, you know, or a, or a wheat protein concentrate. So, so there are parallels out there in the food industry that people have been using all along. So we can say, hey, that is a model that we wish to follow. So the food grade DDG that I have has about 40%. TDF, which is total dietary fiber. It has about uh, 36 to 37% protein, and even higher sometimes, depending on whether we start with the beef added material or not. And then it already is concentrated, so I don't have to use as much of it to bump up the protein and the fiber content. So I just need enough to add to the nutrition and then not expect to load the product so it doesn't perform. I, I like people to eat a muffin and for them to recognize that muffin to be the food product. So the food product has to be familiar to people. I can't change it to such an extent that uh, they will not recognize it as a muffin or a, or a pancake or a cake or a bread. So, so we have the product, and then we are already using uh, plant proteins, and you've seen a lot in the market right now uh, that are comparable, whether you're talking about an oat beverage or um, you know, soy concentrate in a candy bar. So you're seeing multiple products out there. So there are um, ways we can think of that the products can be a reality. It's just a question of pulling the trigger and developing the products. So our job is to make the scientific proof of concept and then demonstrate it can be done. And then the next step is to, uh, to commercialize it. So, so one of our aspects is to make sure that these procedures that we are following uh, can be applied and can be used without uh, extraordinary costs. So, 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 so there's less disincentive for somebody to, to go with it in terms of taking the product to market. So as you think about next steps here, how would you lay that out to, to somebody? What, what do you see happening in the near term and then longer term? And uh, I, I'm sure there are, are variables that, that can and will come into play. In the short term, we need to make sure that there's good science in this. We have to ask the question that the layperson is asking. And then we have to convert that lay, lay, layperson's question to 
a hypothesis of some sort that we can test. And then we have to set up the experiments in such a way that uh, they're actually answering our questions. So we want to do the experiment. At the end of that experiment, we want to make sure that we, we can decide one way or another what the next step is going to be. So mine is, uh, has to do with proof of concept. And two, to link that knowledge that this is already a food ingredient. It started off with corn, which is a food ingredient. And then uh, using uh, consumer-friendly solvents to get to a food ingredient that's even more um, uh, applicable in a, in a variety of applications. So when you demonstrate that it can be used in a variety of applications, then then the, 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 it's easy for the consumer to wrap their mind around a high-fiber product. And it's a choice they make. Are they going to use a corn fiber? Are they going to use a wheat fiber? Are they going to use a, a soy fiber or an oat fiber? So we make these choices available and then it's ultimately it's about choice in the food product. So when you go to the grocery store, you have a variety of products that you can choose from. So the short term is that we make sure that the science is there and it's in keeping with the recommendations, national recommendations of fiber and protein intake. So we're not doing anything out on that field in terms of uh, what consumers are already consuming. And uh, once that is done, then uh, it becomes taste and um, sensory aspects of it. Have we changed the food to such an extent that uh, it's not recognizable? And can we change it in such a way that people actually like it? So as a food scientist, I'm very conscious of the fact that people will always be motivated by the taste of food. And they're very conservative in their food uh, choices. And uh, so we have to make sure that it's attractive for them to want to spend money to buy a product out there. So the short term is make the technology possible, and then publish. So we do have to publish this information so that other people peer review this and they say, well, you're, you're on solid ground and solid footing in terms of assumptions. And uh, so it's not something that uh, uh, is alien to other people's ideas. So, uh, so people have to understand it's a safe product, and two, it's a wholesome product, and then two, uh, we've been consuming all along. Really fascinating what you're working on. Anything else that we haven't talked about yet that you feel we should? The the concept now is that um, the ethanol facilities produce ethanol, and then they produce distillers grains. And the idea is that those DDGs are the same protein uh, that came into the corn. And then we can optimize their use so we're not depriving any particular industry. We're just channeling some aspect of it to go into market. There's a catch-22. There are not enough DDG products out there that people will consume and say, I want this. And so that's, that's because there's not products out there right now. So uh, how would they know that they want it unless they had availability of the product? So I have been at... Uh, except for the last year or so at, at the Minnesota Farm Fest uh, with my crew, and I've had uh, cookies that have DDGs in them, and uh, everybody has consumed my DDG cookies, and not one person has complained about the taste. And uh, so basically the idea is it's not the cookie, it's the concept of the fortification of a cookie with a DDG that we can now think of as food. So it's marketing... It has to, people have to be able to wrap their minds around it and then be able to say, hey, you know, I'll accept that product. 
So American consumers are willing to able to change because I see their diets changing to uh, to some extent, and we are uh, pretty much a, a society that will consume the products of our agriculture, and we can provide that that option for them. So my role is to provide those options and those and the signs so that uh, the consumer ultimately makes the choice. So, and without the assistance of the Minnesota Corn Growers and the Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council, uh, none of the work that I would ever do would, would see the light of day. And uh, I just sent them a journal article. I just sent them a progress report. And it's written in lay terms. And uh, sometimes, it's, uh, you know, we can see down the road what we're going to accomplish, and we can see that the path that we're following is on the sound footing. And uh, so the idea is uh, somebody has to invest in, and I think uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that, that the Minnesota Corn Growers have invested in, in this particular aspect of research. Yes, and they have shed some light on the research uh, online through their website, mncorn.org. Are there any other places, uh, probably online, Padue, that you would point people to if they'd like to learn more about this? I have a link. Uh, when I send out messages, I put my name, and, and there's a link to the university of all the work that I've published. And, uh, you know, I like science and I like food. And uh, it's not good unless consumers actually like what I am making by way of food products. So I'm not making a food product and thinking that people may not like it because I have to thoroughly test it using consumer panels. And uh, and my panel for the steam, bro- steam bread, for example, were... Uh, Chinese uh, individuals who know something about steamed bread. Now, it may be that there are not many Americans who consume steamed bread, but I'm thinking of the masses. How do I move the needle in use of the DDG, in use of wheat products, for example? Uh, Just putting a little bit of uh, something into a big product and then thinking that I've accomplished something may not be enough. I have to make sure that uh, bushels and bushels and tons and tons of the materials they use to be able to justify the investment that we've made. So that's the reason why I chose steamed bread, because we may not consume a lot of steamed bread, but there's masses in China that consume our steamed bread, and and we provide provide the natural products that they use to convert to steamed bread. So whether it's wheat or DDG, so we've shown them how to use it, and it's got to be culturally sensitive to them, so they'll say, well, you know, it's a product that they can accept. So, so we have to do the due diligence and testing to make sure that uh, uh, the discerning palate, discerning consumer, uh, thinks this this product is up to snuff. So, so, and that's how we are pursuing our research so that we are making a product that will actually make it out there. Again, you can learn more about Krishnan's research by going to mncorn.org.